Welcome to KPC. My name is Steve, and uh, today you're going to hear a message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, little fact about me, I have spent a lifetime in churches on Easter mornings hearing this message or one very close to it. Um, some of those mornings, I, I really wanted to be there. I couldn't wait. Other days, not so much. Um, sometimes on those mornings, I was in great spiritual shape. Sometimes I wasn't at all. But here's the thing about my experience with Easter. God has met me every single Easter in a very real and significant way. And the reason for that is because regardless of how hard we try to fake it or however we come in the door, God is real. Um, he is truly a living Lord. And He's all about meeting people regardless of how they're doing in the moment but he's all about re meeting them in a very real and significant way, a way that's unmistakable, um, a way that's undeniable, um, in a way that you personally understand. He just speaks our language and his goal is for us to experience salvation. Um, he comes to make all things new. So today in the sermon, you're gonna hear about three very different people who are in vastly different emotional states and they're gonna meet Jesus. And all he's looking for from every one of them is a yes, but it's a heart yes, that their hearts would say yes to him. And then the journey begins. Um, again, like we said, all things new, life, real life. So the question today is, how is your heart? Um, in these last moments before our pastor comes up, uh, is the door of your heart open? Um, are you willing? Do you have room for Jesus Christ to meet you? Um, enough from me. Let's hear from our fantastic, incredibly gifted senior pastor. <laughs> who, uh, who is quite humble, I might add. I know him personally. Uh, choir, uh, orchestra, praise and worship team, thank you so much. Wow. Great, great praise and worship. If you can't preach after that, there's something really wrong, so uh, Lord help. Um, but listen, we're glad you're here today. Let me say something to you. You've heard this before on Easter if you've been in churches. Uh, he is risen. And as John Kennig says, he is on the loose today. All right, there you go. Um, so here we are today. It is Easter, and Easter is the most joyous day in the church it is also the most holy day for the church. Um, every one of us, we are who we are right now because of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago, right? So uh, for the church, today is all celebration. My daughter prayed that this morning. It's all a celebration. But, but I would have you know, for people, many people on the outside of the church and on the outside of the faith, Easter, Easter doesn't quite make a lot of sense. Um, sure, it's fun. It's a chance to pause and, you know, change pace a little bit in life and, you know, take a, take a detour, you know, in, in, in a holiday sense for a day or so. But many of them just don't get it, don't get what it's all about. And at the risk of offending maybe all of you today, um, having been very on the outside of the church at one point in my life, I don't blame them one bit. Um, I, I don't blame the outside world one bit for their view of Easter. And, and here's what it's like for them. Um, when I was in high school, 
John T. Hoggard High School. It's actually the name of a high school. John T. Hoggard High School. I had a friend named Mike. And um, although you don't know my Mike, you, you all have probably had a Mike in your life, uh, in your lives. Mike is one of these guys who is always making these just crazy, gigantic claims that nobody could ever verify. Anybody ever known a Mike, right? Um, so Mike would come to school, and he, he always had something to spin every day. I remember one time he came up to us, and he goes, you know, my first car, my first car had a race car engine in it, and, uh, and I used to drag race around town, and I got busted by the cops, and it was really big and bad, and you know, we're all like, okay, Mike, you know, sure, yeah, we, we know you're only 16 years old, so I don't know when this happened, but yeah, that was Mike. Uh, I remember Mike, Mike told us one time, he said, you know, my girlfriend is so beautiful. And we were like, oh, Mike, well, who's your girlfriend? Oh, she lives out of town. She lives out of town. You'll never meet her. But she was actually runner-up in Miss Iowa, and she can't make it to the prom or get here, but man, my, my girlfriend's amazing. Um, one time, my favorite Mike story is is um, somebody was picking on him, because Mike kind of invited ridicule sometimes. I mean, you know, if you ever deserve to be picked on, Mike, Mike kind of did at times. And so he says, you know what, you better back off, because my dad, my dad is in the mafia. And so we were like, well, well Mike, we live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, weren't aware of a mafia in Wilmington. He's like, oh, it's, just, it's like the, the, the lower East Coast mafia. It's a really big deal. And my, my dad is like a lieutenant. But, you know, this was Mike. Always these gigantic claims. And I just want you to stop and consider for a minute that for a lot of people outside of the church, that's what Easter's like. Um, that, that's what the resurrection, this is the way it strikes them. You know, to them, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just audacious. You know, that, that a man 2,000 years ago is responsible for our salvation. You know, he, he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago without any medical help. And now he, who, by the way, we can't see, we can't see him walking around. He offers eternal life to everyone and to anyone who believes, well, that they are saved. He gives them life. That statement, that belief is a real stretch for a whole lot of people on the outside. It's just a great big claim without any proof at all. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to wheel out the proof and uh, we're, we're going to take a look at it for ourselves, all right? So we're going to start with John chapter 20. Uh, I will read through verses 1 through 10. And it, it's okay today if this, if this passage, Jane and I read through it this week together in our devotional time, and it's just one of these passages that the way it is written, the tenderness and just the picturesque uh, you know, nature to it, it, it might just go right through you. So uh, here's a little bit of evidence for you today from the Word of God. Early. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, and so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And just one note before I pray, this was one of these things that mystified me for years until I studied deeper. Um, the man who wrote this book is called John, right? When, whenever you read in the book of John the disciple that Jesus loved, John is talking about himself. And what he's not saying here is that, well, Jesus loved me and he didn't love the other 11 guys. He's just saying, look, from my vantage point, I knew the love of Jesus. He just loved me fully. And so he always endearingly refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. All right, let's pray. God, I rejoice today that you love people. You love people. And I thank you that you don't just love the, the ones that we would say are deserving. And God, we would probably look at people who are disinfected and kind of sanitized and have it all together in our opinion, and we would, we would probably say they're worthy. But Lord, the, the, the truth is every one of us is, is barren, we're in need. God, we're such a shipwreck, a train wreck without you. We're such a mess. And you love us. And you did something about every single condition. And so today on this Easter, we just, just pray that wherever we come from, this word of yours, not mine, but this word of yours, would reach the loneliest, darkest, most forsaken part of us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's take a look at this. On, uh, on the day in question, uh, the very first Easter, Jesus Christ in, in John 20, he has been dead now for three days. And Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb. And just so you know, Mary is not alone. She goes with some other women. Um, in John's gospel, they are just referred to as we a couple of times. And the reason that they are going to the tomb is they, they're going to apply spices to what they think is Jesus' decaying body, all right? Now, that was a common practice in the ancient world, but, but they get there, and they run into a snag, okay? And it, it's more than a snag. It's, well, it's just a gigantic snag, and the big snag is Jesus is not there, okay? It's kind of a problem. If you're going to go apply spices to a body, the body isn't there. And um, the, the, the stone door to the tomb is open. And there's just no Jesus inside. And so this woman, Mary Magdalene, she freaks out, okay? She just goes frantic, and she books it now for the disciples. Her one thought is, I've got to find the disciples. So she takes off at top speed for the disciples, and she runs into two of them. She runs into Peter and John. And when Mary finds them, she tells them what happened. I went there, the stones rolled away, Jesus isn't there, and so all three of them now, all three of them race back to the tomb at top speed. Um, a little bit about John. John is an all-heart kind of guy, okay? Have you ever known somebody like that? I mean, he's just all passion and heart. So John takes off like Jesse Owens, all right? He is gone, and he leaves Peter in the dust, all right? Just to picture that, you know, let's go see, and he just, he's gone. 
But John is also a little bit tentative by nature. So when he gets to the tomb, all he can do is peek inside. He, he wouldn't dare go in. Peter, on the other hand, is a bulldozer kind of guy, right? Peter is a bull in a china closet, all right? That's just his personality. So finally, when Peter gets to the tomb, he just barges right in. He goes in, he takes a look around, but they both see the same thing. And what they see is Jesus is not there. He's gone. The the first thing that hits both of these guys, seeing what they see is this cannot possibly be the work of grave robbers. There's, there's just no way. It, it, it can't be the work of grave robbers because of the grave clothes. No self-respecting grave robber would go to steal a body and unwrap all the linens, right? And we all know how self-respecting grave robbers are, right? So that's not what happened here. But, but it also hits them. Nobody else could have come and taken his body and left the linens like that. Because according to every description in every gospel, the, the, the way these linens are, it is as if Jesus' body has just risen right out of the grave, grave clothes and they just fallen in place. Or, Star Wars fans, it's as if Jesus dematerialized like Yoda and, and, and all the cloths are, are, are laying there. Nobody could have done this. And this evidence alone, okay, just this one piece of evidence by itself is enough to make the disciple John believe. He believes that somehow Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, now John has is, is, is got some integrity, so he says, look, even, even though I believe he had risen from the dead, I, I still didn't understand all of Scripture, right? I didn't connect it to all the, the, the scriptural dots and everything. You know, I didn't think, oh, this fulfills what Isaiah said and Jeremiah said. And he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't put all that together. But still, John believes Christ has risen from the dead. And so the scene ends, and the disciples go back home and it's just Mary at the tomb. And now we have what, what, uh, what begins uh, here, three appearances or visitations by Jesus. The first one is with Mary. She's all by herself at the tomb. And, and just so you know, uh, she's not only all alone, Mary is distraught. She is wrecked emotionally, okay? I mean, she is overcome. Her heart is like a crater and she's, she's just standing there, and she's weeping and weeping. She just can't even move. I don't know if you've ever been paralyzed by not only grief, but now just this really sick, twisted tragedy. I mean, what, what's going on here in her mind? She, she's just paralyzed in her tears. And after a moment or two, she looks back into the tomb, and things have changed in the tomb. Now, all of a sudden, there are two angels in the tomb. Mary doesn't recognize that they're angels. She just sees two men, and they ask her a question. And the question is, woman, why are you crying? And Mary's answer is very simple. They have taken my Lord away, and I have no idea where they've put him. And so see, in Mary's grief-stricken, frantic mind, she's still somehow working with this theory that somebody's taken the body. And and then Mary feels what we've all felt before, you know, eyes on the back of your head. You ever felt that, Phil? I know you have. Someone's looking at you, and she whips around. And she sees, not angels this time, but she sees Jesus standing outside of the tomb. And Mary, for a moment, does not realize it's Jesus. 
She, she doesn't recognize him at all. And, and we think, well, how in the world could she not recognize Jesus? I mean, if anybody knew Jesus, it's Mary Magdalene. Read the scripture. Mary Magdalene is like Jesus' puppy dog in the New Testament. Man, once she meets him and he changes her life, everywhere Jesus goes, she's just, she's just there adoring him. How can she not recognize Jesus? And then Jesus asks her this question, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she pretty much says the same thing. She says, you know, they've taken my Lord away. I, I don't know where they've put him. She, she, even in this moment, she thinks he's the gardener. Sir, if you have taken him and put him somewhere, tell me where he is so I can go get him. And before we go any further, I think we have to ask, answer this question. How does she not know it's him? And the answer is very simple. It is that the glorified, resurrected Jesus doesn't look like the Jesus that walked on the earth. Now, why is that? Well, he's been freed from this physical body. I mean, he's been brought back to eternal, abundant life. Jesus does not look the same physically that he did while he walked the earth. And we see that later on. You know, you remember the, the two men on their way to Emmaus, right? They're walking. They're even, they're even talking about Jesus, right? They're talking about the resurrection. And suddenly Jesus appears with them, and they talk to him as they travel down the road to this city. And it's only much, much later that they realize, oh, my goodness, that was Jesus. That was Jesus Christ. The disciples, in just a few minutes at the next visitation, they won't recognize him either. Again, it's because Jesus' body has changed. His physical appearance has changed. And so he asks her this question. She thinks he's the gardener. Again, a frantic mind just jumps to whatever logical conclusion. She thinks he's the, the gardener. Where have you put his body? And then the magic moment. Probably the sweetest gospel image, picture, scene, whatever, and it's all captured in one word. Jesus says to her one word, and the word is Mary. Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And as soon as he says her name, she realizes it's him. She gets it. Oh my gosh, it's Jesus. Teacher, she says. And you might say, well, why suddenly does she recognize him? Here's why. Because his sheep know his voice. John 10, 4. They know his voice. His voice has just spoken her name, and she, it's, it's him. And she is overjoyed. How do we know she's overjoyed? Here's why we know she's overjoyed, okay? Let the stand be Jesus for just a minute. Here's what Mary's doing in the next scene. She's hugging him. She's got him. I know, I can't, I need, I need like Mark Haswell arms to get around here. But she, Mary, it's just a funny scene. She just embraces Jesus in a death grip. She's just hugging him overjoyed. And it's so bad that Jesus has to say to Mary, Mary, please back off. Mary, stop hugging me. Instead, I've got a job for you to do. I need you to go to the disciples. And I want you to tell them that I'm risen. Tell them that very soon I will be going to my father. And Mary takes off to find the disciples. And just so you know, when she gets to the disciples, Mark tells us in his gospel, Mary came, Mary told us what she saw at the tomb. We did not believe Mary for one minute, okay? So that's the disciples, and that's the end of visitation number one. Now, it's time for Jesus to make his second house call, and he goes this time to the disciples. All the disciples except for Thomas. Now, 
where is Thomas? I have no idea where Thomas is. I can't answer that question. If anybody else can answer, they've got some divine revelation. Nobody knows where Thomas is, but he's not with the disciples, but they are together. The rest of them are together. They're in a house, and the doors are locked, all right? And the disciples are not like Mary. Do you remember how Mary was before she saw Jesus? What do we say? Distraught. She's wrecked emotionally, just can't stop crying. That's not the disciples, okay? The disciples instead, they are terrified. The doors are locked because they, they, they thought, you know what? Who was with Jesus everywhere he went for three years? Us. Who does everybody associate with Jesus? The 12 disciples. They've just killed him. We're next on the hit list. So here are the disciples. They're, they're in this room. They're laying low. They're watching the door. They're listening for footsteps, right? Just kind of, they're freaked out in their own special manly kind of way. And then suddenly, there's Jesus in the middle of the room. Luke tells us in his gospel, he says, we, we all thought he was a ghost, all right? So how did Jesus get in there? Up through the floor, through the door, presto? I have no idea, but he is just there. And what does Jesus say? Well, he says what you say to people who are terrified. His words to them are peace. Peace be with you. And they don't recognize Jesus. And so Jesus shows them his hands. Jesus shows him the spear wound in his side. And um, and by the way, those marks are still on the resurrected Christ. Everything else is different, but those wounds are still there. And the disciples have the same reaction as Mary. Now, I don't know if they all started hugging Jesus. That's not there. But they were overjoyed. Every every gospel writer says they are overjoyed. So whether it was a manly overjoyed, you know, high-fiving, hey, all right, go, Jesus. Whatever it is, these guys, everything has changed. The mood is completely different. I mean, these men are not who they were just moments before. And now what Jesus does is he gives them a job, right? He gave Mary a job. Mary, you go tell the disciples that have risen from the dead. Well, the the, the job assignment for the disciples is a little different. Jesus turns to them and he hands them the ministry. He gives them his work to do. And it's so beautiful in John 21. Jesus just has so much style. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, it says, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so here you are. You know, you got, got a bunch of scared rabbits a few minutes ago. Now these guys, they've been commissioned. They have been appointed by the king. I mean, they will. They will build the church. They're going to do what Jesus has been doing, and it's just beautiful. That's, a, that's appearance number two. But now we go to visitation number three. And this is to our man Thomas. And if you know anything about Thomas from Scripture, you know that he was a What? No, he was Jewish. Oh, no, no, he's a doubter, okay? Thomas is an incredible doubter, right? He, he's just this huge skeptic. And, um, you know, he's just one of these guys, he's not gullible. You know, you're not going to go tell Thomas some fantastic story and get away with it. So, so Thomas is a doubter. He rejoins the disciples sometime later. And the first thing the disciples do is say, Thomas, there you are. Let us tell you what just happened. We just saw Jesus. Jesus was here. He's resurrected. He's back. And Thomas's reaction is wild, okay? Thomas doesn't like raise an eyebrow or he doesn't look around the room for a hidden camera. He doesn't do anything like that. Thomas says, okay, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and I stick my finger in them, 
Unless I put my hand in his side, I tell you, I will not believe. I know. You should see her faces. I mean, isn't that brutal? It's just such a brutal response. I mean, basically, Thomas has just said to these guys that he's walked with for, for three years who he knows so well, you guys are a bunch of liars. You, you guys are crazy. It's just a, a brutal rejection. And, and so we wonder, what in the world is going on with Thomas? I mean, I can see, you know, kind of wondering, but this is terrible. What a terrible thing to say back. But there are two things going on with Thomas. Number one, Thomas is the doubter we know he is, Okay. Um, maybe, maybe Thomas knew Mike from Hoggard High School. I don't know. He, he's not listened to any more Mike stories. Maybe Thomas has shopped on QVC one too many times, and it, was not, it wasn't just as on TV. But either way, Thomas is not buying it because he is a skeptic. But the second reason why Thomas reacts this way is, um, is because he is reeling from the death of Jesus also. And so for the disciples to come up and say, hey, guess what? We just saw Jesus walking around. Here's what it's like, okay? Anybody ever lost someone in the room? You ever had anyone who died in your life? This is like somebody walking up to you and go, hey, you know your grandmother that we buried last week? I just saw her at the mall. It, it really is the same thing. It's too fantastic. It's a cruel joke. Thomas just can't put his heart around it. And plus, I said this last week, this has never happened before. No one's ever come back from the dead. So... We need to give Thomas a little bit more grace. Nevertheless, a whole week passes, and there is this incredible tension now between Thomas and the 12 disciples. I mean, can you imagine these guys, you know, you ever had kind of a riff with somebody, and you, hey, how's it going? I mean, you know, the guys are dancing around one another. There's tension everywhere. And um, then finally, one night, about a week later, they're all in the room. The doors are still locked. And it happens again. Suddenly, Jesus is right there in the middle of them. Now, how do they know it's Jesus? Well, here's how you know it's Jesus. He says the same thing that he said to them the first time. Peace be with you. And you know, all the other disciples are like, oh my gosh, we're, we're getting ready to do this thing again. But then Jesus goes all prophetic on Thomas. And he says to Thomas what Thomas has only said to the disciples a week ago. He says, uh, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Uh, that's incredible. Okay, that's amazing. Now, I will tell you this, a little, little rabbit trail here, um, because some of you have had this experience. Some of us have heard preachers get to this point and then say something pretty astounding. What they tell us is, at this point in the passage, Thomas uh, performed a CSI forensics investigation, and Thomas took his finger and he stuck it in, in the nail holes. He, he stuck his hand all in the side, you know, and he said, you know what, I think this is Jesus, you know. I, Jesus ate a hot dog a week ago, and I feel it. It's not digested here, you know. The, the, this is consistent with a Roman spear, you know, measuring the holes. That's about the right side. Folks, that never happened. That never happened. At Jesus' words, stop doubting and believe, Thomas crumbles. He just crumbles. I see the man on the floor. And he, he simply says back, my Lord and my God. And see, there you have it, okay? Here it is. Jesus has made his rounds. He's visited three very, very different groups 
of the people, individuals here, and we're left to ponder this 2,000 years ago. You know, we're, we're, we're left to make sense of this account, and here's what I want us to do. I want us to consider everything that happened in the light of verse 29, all right? The, the conclusion of this scene, when Jesus ends by saying to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know who that verse is for today? A big hint right there. Who's that verse for? Who is that verse about? That verse is about us. That verse is about you and me. Folks, that verse is for everyone who wasn't there, who didn't see Jesus, who didn't hug Jesus, who didn't high five after, you know, they found out Jesus was back. This verse is for us. If, if, if you were not there on the first Easter, okay, who, who was there on the first Easter? Man, nobody. I knew that was going to happen. If you were not there on the first Easter, this is your verse. This is about you. What Jesus is saying is blessed are every one of you who believe that Bible account, this eyewitness account. Blessed are every one of you who believe from reading the story, from hearing from Mary, the disciples, Thomas, John's writing. Blessed are you for believing that Jesus' body was not stolen. His body was not hidden. But according to these witnesses, his body was resurrected. Blessed are you for that belief. Blessed are you for that. You didn't see any of it. You didn't hear any of it. But you know what? Your heart said yes, and you said, come on, Jesus. Come on. Blessed are you today for believing that Jesus Christ gave up everything for you, that he left his Father in heaven. And when it comes to heaven, he fasted the glory and the wonder of heaven. He fasted it for 33 years for your freedom. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who believe that he underwent ridicule and contempt and scorn so that you could become a child of God. Blessed are you for believing that he gave his life to rescue you and to give you life, to make you, again, into a child of God. Blessed are you for believing that even if you're like Mary and you've just been distraught by life, anybody ever been wiped out by life, anybody ever just been wrecked by life, even in that condition, you dared to believe in him, blessed are you. You know, blessed are you if you're like the disciples, okay? I I happen to be a freaker outer, okay? That's kind of my go-to. Whoa, blessed are you if you're like me. You know, you just flip out sometimes, But you dared to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he comes to make all things new, that he comes to to change your life, your circumstances. Blessed are you in the the 21st century. If you're like Thomas, you're a little bit skeptical. Having gone through the last political season, I'm more skeptical than I've ever been. But blessed are you if you're a doubter, if you're a cynic, if you're a skeptic, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Blessed are you today if you're suffering from any other condition that I didn't just mention. If you're guilty of any other sin that we haven't run through today. Blessed are you for believing this morning. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's also his invitation to every one of us. Now, I want to give you one final encouragement this morning. I want to give you one final uh, piece of proof, and this proof is actually not in John's, uh, John's chapter here, chapter 20, but it is all over the New Testament. There is one more incredible proof 
of the resurrection walking around in front of us every single day. Does anyone want to dare to take a guess at what it is? Well, look in the mirror, baby, because it's you and me, okay? We are the evidence, okay? We who have been saved by Jesus Christ, we, we are also evidence, we are proof of the resurrection. I was listening to Todd White this week. I don't know if you like Todd. I, I think he's a lot of fun. He's just great. Todd, Todd said, you know, there's a little song that every, every kid sings in Sunday school, and it's such a cute little song. It's such a sweet little song. We love to hear our kids sing it, but the song is so, so wrong. You know what the song is? Um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Okay, I'll stop. All right, fine. Okay, crowd's not with me. Tough room, tough room today. No, but it's that song. Do you know, as wonderful, as cute as it is to hear that on the lips of our children, that song is so tragically flawed from a biblical and theological perspective. You know why? Because we don't have a little light. We are the light of the world. We are a city set upon a hill. That's what Christians are supposed to be. And so what happens every, every Easter, and I pray we do this, is this reminds us not only is that wonderful and this worship wonderful, but we have a very wonderful responsibility. You know what that responsibility is as Christians? We have got to live free. We have got to live free. You know, I love the saying, free people, free people. We have got to live free. You know, we, we have got to love outrageously. We've got to mirror the love of God. When it comes to joy, you know, I'm a singer, and, and my staff will tell you, oh, my gosh, he's always singing something silly in the office. You know, I'm, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. You know, we're just meant to sing and dance our way through life with the love of Jesus Christ and, and just the goodness of God in us. We are meant to forgive like crazy. We are meant to extend a lavish love to people. We as believers are meant to, to just pour kindness out. Every believer, we have a job. You know, Jesus gave a job to Mary, gave a job to, to the disciples, which is, by the way, our job. But, but our job, our burden, the thing we share as children of God is to stay very, very close to our Father, to show our Father's love day in and day out. We have a responsibility as the church to be the Easter people. And I'm going to do something you probably haven't heard in church, but if you're in the church, like if you're here today and you're like, all right, I'm here today and I won't be here any other time, you know, someone drug me into church and, you know, this thing ends in a minute and I'm out of here. If you've ever been, if you've got church hurt in your life, which is very real, if you've seen Christians before and you were like, man, they're a hypocrite, or if you see me, you're like, man, what is it? where's all that anger coming from? I, this doesn't look like Jesus as a pastor and a shepherd. Let me just say, I am sorry that you have seen that. But I will tell you this. This life, this Lord, this love, it is real. Chris said it. Mark said it. Guys, this Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything. And, and not only, not only does, does he, he invite us to come for, for salvation, not only the words we went over today, but he also, there's another beautiful place in the Gospels where he makes another invitation. I think this is the most heartwarming invitation in the New Testament. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I was running outside the church, a million miles away from God, doing my own thing, 
there was a lot of stuff that I found that I enjoyed. And sometimes people say, oh, sin is the worst thing in the world. Man, when I was a sinner, it was horrible. I've said this before. I actually had a lot of fun being a sinner. I had a, you know, the Bible even says that, that sin is fun for a season. I had a great time, but the one thing I never had was rest. I never had rest. Jesus offers us rest. Jesus is our rest. Rest from, from, the, from the pressure and the deadliness of sin. Rest from just the franticness of life. A home for your heart. An eternal home in heaven forever. Eternal life that begins today. That's what Jesus Christ offers us, all right? I'm going to pray, uh, and I want to invite prayer team people to come on up here. If you would like someone to pray with you specifically today, please come up here, meet somebody at the altar. We will pray about anything with you, anything and everything with you. So prayer team people, if you guys will come up, I'm going to pray for everybody here. Lord, in Jesus' name, we rejoice. God, we rejoiced in the empty tomb. And we thank you that we are not left without proof. We are left with the living God. And today, I I just pray that that we would be able to just roll back that stone of our hearts because we have a part to play in that. And God, whether we would say, you know what, I have never known Jesus. I've been dead my whole life spiritually. Father, if, if, if we can say that, confess that today and say, Jesus, come into my life. Lord, we want to do that right now. If, if we have had that experience before and we, we just would say, you know what, but in the years that have followed, my heart has become hard as a Christian. It's become hard. It's become cold. I've become encumbered by a lot of things that just don't befit a child of God. Lord, on this Easter, we invite you. We just invite you to resurrect us again, that you would hit us with your life, your light, your glory. That, God, we would be moved to to a new place spiritually like these disciples, overjoyed, like Mary, rejoicing and just filled with affection for you. Lord, let us not go out of here as we came in because of Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen and amen and amen. We love you. Happy Easter. Go enjoy the rest of the day. Put on shorts, it's hot out there.